Hey everyone, we are back in our study of 1 John. We are now in uh, verses 11 through 18 of 1 John chapter 3. And again, this is, um, th- this, this is a series we're going through in our men's breakfast here at the Rock Community Church. Uh, we'd love for any men out there to come join us. It's on Wednesday mornings at 645. And if you want more information, you can go to our website, trcclive.org. So I'm going to read our passage, 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11 and going through to verse 18. It says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our li- and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. That last verse I read there, verse 18, is one of my favorites in all of Scripture. Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth truth. So, uh, just to review, uh, to give us a little bit of context uh, for the passage we just read, we've talked about, uh, in this uh, study of First John, we've talked about how John lays out a series of tests where one can test the validity of their claims of salvation, of being in God's kingdom, of being a Christian. He gives a series of tests, and there's, there's doctrinal tests and there's moral tests. And I know we've kind of gone over this quite a bit over the last few, um, few podcasts here, so uh, I just will go over it very quickly. Uh, the doctrinal tests uh, are that you have a right view of Jesus, his, his deity, and his humanity. His humanity, of course, was in question at the time of the writing of 1 John, um, and it, nowadays it's his deity that is in question. So um, you must have a right view of Jesus. You also must have a right view of sin, that man is sinful, that we are sinful, and, and how Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and, and our advocate, and that we can be forgiven if we repent and put our faith in his work on the cross. John also gives a series of moral tests that have to do with obedience, um, you know, righteousness, um, or a pattern of obedience and righteousness anyway in your life. And then the other moral test has to do with love. Love. Love being manifested in your life is proof of one's salvation. That their claim to be a Christian is in fact true. And so this is the second time actually that John talks about this moral test of love. He spoke about it back in chapter 2. Uh, 
in verses 7 through 11 where you remember he said, it's, it's not a new commandment that I give you uh, to love one another. But on the other hand, it is a new commandment. He said, this is not a new commandment. This is an old commandment. And then right after that, he says, actually, it is a new commandment. And what he meant by that is not that it's a new commandment as far as time. I mean, the, the, the Israelites were given the command to love God and to love one another way back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Um, but he says it's new in the sense that it's, it's now been manifested in Jesus and we have now seen for ourselves what this love is to look like. Jesus' demonstration of love was unprecedented. It was sacrificial to the point of death, where he would wash the disciples' feet, where he would love them sacrificially and even die on the cross for his disciples. So he says it is a new commandment in that sense, that the way I'm telling you to love is unlike any other love you have ever seen. So it is, in that sense, a new commandment. And then uh, skipping ahead to, uh, in chapter 2 still, verses 15 through 17, he says that we are not to love the world. We're not to love the world nor the things in the world. And if we, are, if we do love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. And so now John is circling back to the subject of love. He's, uh, you, you might remember that um, the book of 1 John is a circular book. It's, it's circular in format in the sense that John goes through a list of discussions and then he kind of circles back over and over uh, back to these same topics. And every time he circles back, he gets a little bit deeper. He gives us a little more, a little more richness to the, te- to the subject. Dr. John MacArthur says that it's like screwing truth into our minds where every Every time you, you, you turn the screw, it just gets deeper and deeper. That's how John writes this book. And so he starts the second go-around uh, with, in 1 John 3.11, the second time in the topic of love where he says, This is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Why does he say it this way? This is the message which you have heard from the beginning. Why does he say it that way? Well, you know, the church had the truth about love from the very beginning when the gospel message was first delivered to them by the apostles. They had the truth about love. So he says, this is what you have heard from the beginning. This is the message which you have heard from the beginning. And what he meant was when they first heard the gospel message. And they heard this, they heard, you know, about who Jesus was, they heard about sin, they heard about obedience uh, from the very beginning when they first heard the gospel. And he's specifically talking about when they first heard the gospel message regarding love, they've, they've had this truth about love from the beginning. But at some point, uh, the false teachers came in. And they started teaching a very different message about love, right? They started teaching heresy, really, about love, that we don't necessarily need to love one another. But John says, no, 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 you've heard this from the beginning, that we are to love one another. We should love one another. 
And so what these false teachers are saying is that it is not true. They were saying, these false teachers were saying, it didn't matter. You don't need to love your neighbor. But John's saying, no, no, no. You've heard this from the beginning. Do not abandon that truth. There's nothing new here. We don't have any new revelation from God. God's truth does not change. The truth about Jesus Christ, the truth about the gospel, the truth about sin and obedience, righteousness, those things don't change. And neither does the truth about love change. These things are are the same as they've always been. Nothing has changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Don't abandon the truth, he's saying. So let's go back, just like we did when we were in chapter 2. Let's go back to uh, John 13, 34 through 35. He says, in John 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The commandment to love was not new, as we read in 1 John 2. It's an old commandment that goes back to the Old Testament, but it had a newness to it in the sense that Jesus is saying that we should love one another, quote, even as I have loved you. As Jesus has loved us, that's how we should love one another. This is, this is another level of love. This is the type of love that Jesus demonstrated uh, in, in self-sacrificing, self-effacing, uh, perfect love. Right? Like washing the disciples' feet. That was considered the lowliest of the lowliest tasks that any slave could do. The lowliest of slaves only would be the one to wash people's feet. And Jesus demonstrated this self-sacrificing love to his disciples by washing their feet. And he says that is how you should love one another. You can tell a true believer if they have love for one another, the type of love that Jesus has. This self-sacrificing, self-effacing, perfect love. In John 15, 12 through 13, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Then he says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. This is an old commandment. It's as old as the Old Testament. But Jesus says, he's saying, I'm taking it to a new level. I'm taking it to the point where you are to deny yourself, take up your cross, and love sacrificially even to the point of death. That's what it means to take up your cross. To the point of humiliation and death. That's That's how we are to love one another. And so 1 John 3.11 says, This is the message which we had heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's what it means. Self-sacrificing, self 
effacing perfect love. And then in verse 12, John immediately moves to the contrast, right, of verse 11. The contrast in verse 12 says, Not as Cain, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. <laughs> Doesn't get much worse than that, does it? I mean, the, lowly, the lowest a person can sink is when they kill someone. I mean, wouldn't you agree that that's as low as it gets? And so John presents this Old Testament passage as a classic example of the opposite of love, which is murder. Now, this is an interesting, um, this is an interesting example that John gives, I think. Um, you know, Cain and Abel, if we just kind of go over that, that little story there, well, it's not a little story, but if we go over that story that's in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, they had the same parents, right? Adam and Eve. They were brothers. They had the same parents. They were raised in the same home. They had the same influences. They were called to the same God to offer their sacrifices. They both brought sacrifices to God. I mean, they, they had the same experience in their life, pretty much up to this point, almost up to this point. I mean, you know, uh, Cain was a tiller of the ground and Abel was raising the flocks. But, you know, they grew up in the same world. You know, and another interesting thing is that Cain is never presented as an atheist. He's never presented as someone who doesn't believe in God or who doesn't uh, have any kind of experience with God. He's presented as a, as a religious guy. He, he brought his sacrifices to God. He's a religious person. He's actually a worshiper of God. He worships the one true God. The only God they knew about was the one true God, the creator God. They knew the God who was the creator of the universe. I mean, their parents, after all, had walked and talked with God in, in the garden. And their parents certainly had to relate relate the stories that they had about God and told them all they knew about God, they were not very far removed from the, from the testimony that their parents had, this personal testimony of Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God. They knew the true God who was the creator. They knew the God who had acted in judgment against their parents. Cain and Abel knew that their parents had been judged by God by being kicked out of the garden because of, of, of their sin in the garden of eating the forbidden fruit. They knew the God that, who had cursed the earth and who had, who had cursed the serpent. They knew the God who had pronounced not only the curse on Adam and Eve, but also the blessing on Adam and Eve when he blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. They knew the God who had promised that there would be a seed of the woman, right? He said there would be a seed of the woman who would eventually bruise the serpent's head. They both knew 
the one true living God. So Cain was not an atheist. He was a worshiper of God. He was religious. He he had first-hand experience, almost first-hand experience, one, one generation removed with God. He was a religious person. And you know, some of the most hateful people in the world are religious. Right? Cain was religious. It wasn't atheists who crucified Jesus. It wasn't atheists who screamed for his crucifixion in a, in a mob mentality. It was the religious people. It was those who worshipped the one true God. But they had, they had a, just a, a, a distorted way of worshipping him. They didn't worship him in the way he demanded to be worshipped. Outward religiosity is not proof that a person is born again. You know? Cain was outwardly religious, but he didn't bring the proper sacrifice. That external religiousness that Cain possessed was not the proper sacrifice because he wanted to worship God in his own way. Cain wanted to worship God the way he wanted to worship God. He wanted to bring the things that he grew from the ground, the things that he had worked to create with his own hands, he wanted to bring that as a sacrifice to God. And God said, no, no, no. I want a blood sacrifice. I want an animal. Cain wanted to do it his way from the work of his own hands. And remember, it's not our, it's not our works It's not our works that save us, right? It's God's grace. It's the work of God. It's the work of Jesus on the cross. That's what saves us. It's our faith in Him. We can be sure, we we can be sure that Cain was commanded by God to bring an animal sacrifice just like Abel did. But instead of bringing what God asked, Cain brought the fruit of the land which he himself had worked and toiled to produce based on his accomplishment. And that is not the way to have a relationship with God. So Cain failed the test of love to the point that he murdered his own brother, Abel. Let's, uh, I'm going to read, actually, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, just so we can get a kind of a picture of what happened back then. Genesis 4, 1 through 8 says, Now the man, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? 
And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. He's saying, you better get a hold of yourself, Cain. You better, you better deal with what's going on in your heart. You better deal with this sin attitude. It's going to get you in trouble. He says, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. And then in verse 8, it says, Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Wow, that's, that's just it's an amazing story of the opposite of love, right? Back to 1 John. The characteristic of the children of the devil is murder. Jesus, in, in Matthew 5, 1, 21 through 26, Jesus equates hatred with murder. He said, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Look at verse 15 of our passage, 1 John three fifteen. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hate, murder, lack of love for the brethren. According to 1 John 3, verse 10, that stuff is of the devil. Remember we read last time? By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because, as we read in verse 12, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Because Cain was of the evil one and his deeds were evil. And this is how we know who is of God and who is of the devil. If we, if we hate our brother, the brethren, right? Fellow Christians. We don't, if we have a lack of love for other believers, or even other people, really, we're of the devil. So, my question that I ask myself is, how am I doing with this? And, and I ask you the same thing. How are you doing with this? When someone sins against us, especially if it's someone in the church, because that does happen, it happens quite a bit. I mean, we're, we're a group of sinners. Of course we're going to sin against each other. I mean, ultimately and truly, we're sinning against God. But when we sin to where we, we hurt someone in some way, whether it's emotionally or financially or, or physically even. And so when someone sins against us, do we hate them? 
Do we hate them or do we love them? You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus said to love like he loves. Jesus loves his enemies. Did you know that Jesus loved you when, when you were his enemy? At some point, all of us, even if we've been saved since we were five years old, at some point, we were all enemies of God. And God loved us enough to die for us while we were enemies, while we were yet sinners, it says in Romans. So when someone sins against you, do you hate them or do you love them? Do you serve others? Do you help others? Do you sacrificially serve and love others? Right, because verse 18, one of my favorite ones, let us not love with word or with tongue. Don't just say, oh, I I love you. Don't just give those lovey-dovey feelings. I mean, those things are nice and those things are important, but don't just love that way. It says love in deed and in truth. Indeed, you know, serving, it's a, that's a verb. To, to, to love, the, the way the Bible describes it, that's a verb. It's an active verb. Do you love indeed? By the deeds you do, serving others, loving others, by the things you do, sacrificially for them. Are you loving that way? And then it also says indeed and in truth. Are we loving people by giving them the truth, the gospel, telling them the truth about their sin? Because anything else, any, any other watered-down version of that where you tell them, well, you know, you're fine, you are a good person, and you, yeah, if you're a good person, of course you'll go into heaven. You don't need anything other than that. That's not loving. Because if they believe that, they're, <laughs> if they believe that they just have to be a good person and they don't have to do anything about Jesus or or, or they don't have to have a, a life of obedience as defined by God. That's, that's, that's a path to, to eternal punishment if they believe that. And so we love them when we tell them, no, 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 you are a sinner. We say it lovingly and gently and respectfully, but we need to open people's eyes that they are sinful deserving of eternal punishment. But God sent his son to live that perfect sinless life in their place and take the punishment that they deserve so that they could have eternal life with him in heaven. That is the truth, and giving them that truth is is love. Especially when you consider that you could be sacrificing a relationship, a friendship, a family relationship, You could be sacrificing that by giving them that truth. So let's love in deed and in truth. I hope this passage penetrates your hearts. That's my prayer, that it would penetrate all of our hearts, including my own. I love you all, and I'll see you next time when we will start in uh, verse 19 of 1 John chapter 3. Take care, take care, everyone. I love you. Bye-bye.